The reading of the scriptures from Genesis chapter 3, reading verses 1 to 7. I invite your uh, reverent hearing of the public reading of God's word and your hearing in faith. So Genesis chapter 3. <clears throat> now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will surely not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, if ever you have the occasion to um, study the great uh, historic battles of all civilization, uh, you, you also... Uh, read consistent with those battles and their preparation, uh, great uh, deception operations. Uh, for example, uh, the Normandy invasion um, didn't start really uh, on the appointed day. It started with a deception operation uh, because they had to, if you will, deceive uh, Hitler about troop movements. Uh, to give uh, the soldiers, the invading armies, a time uh, uh, to get settled to prepare for what always comes, namely a counterattack. Uh, now, I'm, I'm, I'm really not trying to bore the ladies here, uh, but the point is the great text before us is the greatest deception operation of all time. Uh, and it begins a great war, the greatest warfare of all time. Uh, and we, of course, as uh, the sons of God, uh, must learn that the method that Satan uses is timeless uh, and that the consequences are uh, theological. And so we have to shift back and forth between the individual and the people of God and the reminder that uh, the deceiver comes really for all of us, uh, just as he now is going to come to Adam and Eve. So the method, as I've uh, mentioned, is uh, timeless. The tempter comes uh, disguised in the incarnation of a, of a serpent. Comes uh, he comes to trick. Uh, and occurs uh, continually in our lives. So here he comes uh, disguised uh, 
uh, in a serpent, but he may come in a businessman uh, to offer you a deal that just can't be refused, but it needs to be refused because it's morally and ethically wrong. Might come as a friend. Uh, worst of all, he might come as a preacher. Now we know he's in lots of pulpits. Uh, the preacher comes, investments, and has all the appearance of uh, being ordained by God, but he comes to trick and deceive. Uh, the text reads that the serpent is crafty. The word can also be translated prudent. It's used in a positive sense in the book of the Proverbs of uh, the wise man who is prudent because he's aware of danger. So, I mean, you can see the irony there, can you not? The serpent comes masquerading as one who is prudent. Eve should have been prudent, uh, but she isn't. Uh, more importantly, it's a play on words. So word play uh, to remind us of danger because uh, the word crafty is a play on the word uh, naked uh, found in uh, verse 25 of chapter 2. The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Same uh, consonants, but uh, different vowels. As a reminder that we have to be really incredibly uh, careful uh, of the danger that's always about us. I think it suggests that uh, he comes to attack a vulnerability uh, in Adam and Eve, and he's going to exploit that vulnerability, and that's part of his uh, methodology, uh, to attack and to exploit. Uh, I think the important uh, lesson, speak on this a little bit more so in a moment, but he comes indirectly. Notice the serpent comes to Eve instead of Adam. Uh, Moses tells us that uh, the Lord God uh, made both the serpent and the spirit animating the serpent. As a reminder to us that uh, he is sovereign over both. Uh, and the more important reminder is that God, God has no rivals. Uh, the serpent is not a rival to God because God has no rivals. He is the pinnacle of all power and greatness. Uh, and he is therefore sovereign over this event and the participants. Uh, now, God has lots of rebels. The serpent is a rebel, but he's not a rival. And he says to the woman with a sense of amazement, has God really said, has God really said that you shall not eat from every tree in the garden? Uh, it, it begins with a, as you know, I'm sure, as a very subtle attack upon the Word of God. Uh, and here he twists the, God, the, the Word of God. God had said in chapter 2, verse 16, from any tree of the garden you may eat, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So Satan is therefore emphasizing the prohibition, uh, the one tree and not the provision of many trees. I mean, part of the incredible 
issue of what's happening before us in this deception operation is that Adam and Eve literally had everything they could ever imagine in their most wildest imagination in the Garden of Eden. With only one exception. To understand it's in no evil. Uh, the provision of many is set against uh, the exception of the one. Uh, Satan comes to stress the negative instead of the positive. I mean, think of that methodology in terms of your life. Uh, we have a way of isolating the things that we don't have instead of focusing upon uh, the things that we do have, uh, which in this country are manifestly profound and incredible. Uh, my mother told me a number of years ago, she was complaining to my father or husband, well, we, will we ever be rich? <laughs> uh, my father said to her, we're already rich. It's very instructive to me to grasp the sense of that because uh, having grown in, up in Venezuela, occasionally we would go into the uh, what I call the jungles and come across and drive through villages that were just absolutely pronounced in terms of the incredible poverty. So my father knew what he was talking about. But we don't, we don't focus upon... <laughs> Uh, what we have, we focus upon what we don't have. Yeah. Remember that, because Satan will oftentimes come in such a way. Uh, Eve does not recognize uh, the twist, and she does something that's incredibly dangerous. Uh, she engages the serpent. Uh, we know from New, New Testament theology that she should have fled. She should have turned away. Now, let's look very quickly at the uh, book of James, um, at James chapter 4 uh, and uh, verse 7. Submit therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. But notice, he will flee you. She should have fled or turned away from the serpent. First uh, Peter chapter five uh, verses uh, eight and nine uh, is another reference in the same manner. Uh, Casting all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Resist him. Turn away from him. Draw near to God because of the manifest danger. Mephistopheles says in Faust, the people who do not know that the devil is here even when he already has them by the throat. In her response, Eve says, but from the tree in the middle of the garden, you shall not eat from it or touch it lest you die. So you and I know that uh, in this particular response to the serpent that she adds to the scriptures. Because there's no mention, as you, again, I know you know, of touching. And she minimizes the certainty of the consequences because the consequences were not you're going to die, you shall 
surely die. The Hebrew text says, literally dying you shall die. We don't read it that way because it's not meant to be read that way. It's the certainty of death. The absolute, irrevocable certainty that you will die. The serpent responds by denying and contradicting the consequences in verse 4. He always does. He never comes dragging the chains of the consequences of ruin and chaos behind him. But they are there. When the tempter comes to you, he comes to entice. He will never tell you of the consequences. But they are there nonetheless. And they are manifestly incredible. So great, you really do not want to engage him. Then he shifts from attacking the word of the Lord to the person of God. So he escalates from word to person. There's always an escalation. For God knows that the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He tantalizes her to become like God. Uh, The promise of deity is the tantalizing prize, isn't it not? To be like God. Many people in our culture are acting and doing things as if they are God and they are not God. The madness of it is the denial of the goodness of God, the provision of God, and the judgment of God. Essentially, she is envying God. Now, the word desirable comes from just that word. She covets. Imagine coveting uh, God. Uh, We are forbidden from uh, Old Testament law. We We are not to covet our neighbor our neighbor's wife, his property, the things that belong to someone else. We're not, we're not to envy them because God has blessed us in manifold ways. There may be different blessings, uh, but we shouldn't covet and envy lest it turn into action. Or she's coveting uh, the knowledge of evil that God has. And the text reads, this is, this is a critical reminder here. She saw that the tree was good, a delight, and desirable. So in contrast to divine revelation, she repairs to her senses. She sees something that's good. Uh, The Hebrew word tov uh, can also be translated beautiful. So the tree, the knowledge of good and evil, is a beautiful tree, uh, literally the word good, and she sees it. It's a lesson for us to be very careful of your senses uh, and to subordinate them uh, to the word of God. Uh, everywhere in our culture, we are enticed with physical beauty. Sometimes it appears in magazines. Don't look at them. Don't buy them. Turn away from them. It's a serpent that comes in a very, very indirect way. And there follows in rapid fire order. She took, she ate, and she gave it to her husband, and he ate. I want to isolate on three words. 
I was just, just momentarily. She saw what was beautiful and she took. Those three words are found in prominent uh, places in the Old Testament of just incredible danger and consequences. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 2, the sons of God saw. Same verb, Eve saw. The sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful and took them. They were manifestly forbidden to mix by taking from the ungodly line and mixing their faith with the ungodly. Just as you and I are today, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. But notice the three words that occur again in Genesis chapter 6 that are found in Genesis chapter 3 in the greatest deception operation of all time. She saw that it was beautiful and she took. The three words occur in another tragic place in the Old Testament. It's an account I know all of y'all know. It's about a king. Spends all day sleeping. Kind of wonder about that. We also know that as a king, he's absent his place of duty because his armies are engaging in warfare and he was really should have been there. He stays home. He's Spends all day sleeping, wakes up, goes up upon his roof, and he sees, same verb, a woman, and she is beautiful. She is tov. And he takes her. King David, Bathsheba. He took something that was not his. He envied another man's wife. We're not going to look at this account today, but you know the consequences that fall upon David as a son of God? They are incredible. He loses a son. He almost loses his entire kingdom. The sword never departs from his house. Well, chump change. No. Incredible sadness does not depart from his house. So we think lightly of all those things. Oh, it's no big deal to see and to see something as beautiful. And if you want to just take it, be very careful. Because it may be the serpent who has come to you in a very indirect way. Uh, the other issue here that's profoundly uh, decisive for us is that there's no question that Adam was with Eve and he watches all of this. He doesn't stop her. I mean, all of us depend upon close friends and uh, spouses and neighbors and confidants that we have to say, wait a minute, what do you think you're doing? Don't, don't reach for that. Adam does none of that. And he's really the greater target because he's the federal head in the garden and Eve is not. He is. He watches it, doesn't stop her, but rather obeys her and not God. And notice 
what I think is the real point here that I mentioned earlier, the indirect approach of Satan. His real efforts are at Adam, because Adam is the federal head. But he gets at him through his wife. Uh, some of you young adults, do you have a boyfriend or girlfriend that nothing wrong with that, but perhaps you shouldn't have? Uh, perhaps you're becoming over-familiar with things that you shouldn't be engaging in? Could it be that the serpent has come to you in your garden And he never brings the chains of consequences and ruin. Uh, we need to have the word of God to turn our radars on to recognize uh, that sometimes Satan comes and he has us by the throat and we don't have the spiritual sense to recognize it. But we should because of the word of the Lord. The results are tragic. Uh, verse 7. And the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves uh, coverings. Innocence and paradise in a moment are lost. I was uh, looking at the Wall Street Journal. It's a picture of a Syrian father holding the hand of his daughter under the rubble. She eventually died. I mean, it's almost painful to look at the picture because of you know, father losing his daughter because of an earthquake. Well, it was really, it was really part of the consequences of the fall that now comes upon Adam and Eve. Every thorn, uh, every every evil thought, every act of violence, even an earthquake that kills tens of thousands can all be traced directly to this event. Imagine if Eve could have heard the chains being dragged by the serpent. She would have heard them. Well, point is, she should have heard the word of the Lord. So they are now enlightened to evil and they're ashamed. And they engage in a religious act. Isn't that interesting to cover themselves? A reminder indirectly that works will not satisfy the penalty. Leaves will not cover their shame. Over and over again, I'm suggesting to you that uh, she and Adam and you and I should depend upon the word of the Lord and turn away from evil. Uh, of course, it's a beautiful anticipation of the gospel uh, because, uh, because God in his grace is going to provide his own covering, uh, referencing an animal in some manner or form has been killed by God to cover them. Pointing to the entire sacrificial system of uh, the nation of Israel and ultimately Christ who fulfills them all. We don't do sacrifices anymore because Christ is the last great final sacrifice. And that is, of course, the gospel 
uh, in a word, is a reminder to us of the fall has affected all of us, and the only hope is the gospel provision of Christ uh, that takes away the sins of his people. And no other religious work will do. No act of penance. You and I do not believe in the sacrament of penance. I mean, these are things only God can do in grace. It's the essence of the gospel. The theology uh, uh, and consequences of the fall, as I've suggested, are manifest. First, uh, they have neglected their mandate. Let's look at uh, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28. Uh, then the Lord God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all things and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth, i.e. the serpent. They were to have dominion over. Now the serpent has dominion over them. And God made man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. And rule, rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. They were God's vice regent to rule over that creature that's come into the garden sanctuary. They forsake their duty. Secondly, they also neglect the purpose of their presence in the garden. Let's look back at Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. A few weeks back, we looked at those two words. They're oftentimes found of the priests who were to serve and to keep the sanctuary where the localized presence of God was manifested. Adam and Eve were priests to protect the garden sanctuary and to serve God. Ironically, the creature has dominion over them and the image of God is now corrupted. As you know, the Apostle Paul gives us the theological consequences many, many places, but obviously Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. Therefore, just as though one man, sin entered into the world and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. One man and death spread to all. In our culture, uh, death is a biological event. It is, to be sure. But more importantly, it's a theological event. The consequences of the fall. We die because of Adam's sin. The consequences are imputed to all of us. That's why we die. I get the biology. It's more important that we get the theology. Because it's a reminder when the serpent comes craftily to you, he doesn't tell you about the consequences. Now, verse 17. For by the transgression of the one, death reigned. Death reigned. It's like the picture I saw in the Wall Street Journal of the Syrian father holding the hand of his beloved daughter. Death reigned. Death caught her. 
because of what occurred here in Genesis 3. Verse 18. So as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men. Condemnation. All men are now condemned because of this one sin. In verse 19, for as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. In other words, as I've suggested, Adam's failure was imputed to everyone, charged to their account. Guilty. Guilty before God. Uh, the theology reminds us that uh, Satan is still at work. Uh, this historical event is a paradigm. Uh, both individually and corporately, because he comes for you, but he also comes into the church. And he comes to trick people, particularly if they're naive and or absent uh, the knowledge of the Word of God. Uh, application to the individual is know the Scriptures. As well, he comes into the church to deceive. And results, of course, are just incredibly tragic because of deception. I began in my uh, um, uh, introduction suggesting to you that all acts of warfare begin with deception. This is the greatest act of warfare of all of civilization and time, and it begins with deception. The greatest deception operation of all time that continues today. Um, let's let's think theologically how it continues. Pelagianism. Adam sinned alone, so there's no original sin. Denial of Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Semi-Pelagianism. Sin is paid for by the sacramental system, particularly of Rome, but not so sure we couldn't extrapolate it to orthodoxy. Arminianism, the corruption is not total. Isn't that interesting? Death is total. No one escapes it. Failure of theological systems that are nothing more nor less than deception operations because um, semi-Pelagianism uh, and Arminianism are perhaps the most dominant theological churches uh, all across the world today. A reformed position engages the authority of Scripture alone and grace alone as the only provision for the fall. It's certainly reminded to each of us that we should depend upon the Word of God and turn away from evil, not turn to it. And thankfully... Returning to a form of thought that there is now the greatest of all anticipations to gospel because God will begin again. Uh, he doesn't always begin again, but here he begins again. Uh, and that will occur several times in the book of Genesis. A manifest reminder that God is gracious to recover his own. Uh, certainly, uh, that is the theology that uh, the Apostle Paul uh, gives to us in uh, Romans uh, chapter 5 and verse 21. 
that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Deception, answer. Corruption, answer. A turning in warfare, the answer of God. Christ alone is the sole provision to satisfy wrath. There's no other uh, provision for the guilt of the first Adam than the satisfaction of Christ. Uh, See, great and only high priest whose sacrifice is effective and acceptable. But more importantly than that, uh, this deception operation here in Genesis 3 happens to Christ. As a reminder that in Christ we have a great example and a far greater teacher. Just turn with me in the scriptures to Matthew chapter 4. Context uh, is uh, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So the tempter is going to come to him. Before he comes, Christ weakens himself in a fast for 40 days and 40 nights. Temporal illusion, uh, reminder to the uh, wanderings in the wilderness of the nation of Israel. I think a powerful suggestion is that Christ is going to emerge as the true Israel and the last Adam. And the serpent comes to Christ. Comes like he came to Adam and Eve. And says to Christ, just as he said to Adam and to Eve, the tempter came and said to him, Tempter comes and says to you. Tempter comes into churches and says to the church. Uh, Notice how Christ in every occasion of of the temptations that break upon him, how he responds. Verse 4. How does Jesus respond? It is written. Pointing to the scriptures. Turn to the scriptures. It is written. Verse 7. Another temptation. Notice how Jesus responds. It is written. Verse 10. Same thing. It is written. You shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. So we depend upon the Word of God and we turn away from evil because it is written and God gives us wisdom Uh, to turn away from deception. That's why to everyone in this room, young and old, give our hearts uh, to the Lord in personal faith, but also to His Word, uh, lest we be swept away uh, by uh, temptation, evil. Uh, Jesus also teaches us to pray. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. Notice, lead us not. Christ was led into the wilderness. Then the great prayer, deliver us from evil. We live in evil days. Uh, We trust and depend upon God to deliver us. 
he also raises up elders to uh, prosper the service and to protect the church. Elders indirectly fulfill the reality of Genesis 2.15, uh, who protect uh, and serve in God's garden uh, against moral and theological evil. Absolutely incredible to me that theological evil is accepted in many, many churches. Oftentimes, in the soft and gentle word of, well, we have to love. Yeah, we do, but we also have to hold fast the truth of the word of God. And you cannot separate love for God from his truth. Uh, so the, the elders teach us uh, to know the word of the Lord. And they protect the church by denying false teachers access to it. And by exercising discipline as a reminder of the goodness of God and to protect us from the consequences that come from satanic deception and when men and women, boys and girls fall prey to it and to purify the church. And so we're to serve and to keep it. Notice very, it's very important that we uh, are to serve and to keep the word of God. Nowhere are the people of God, much less the elders of God, given the mandate to change the word of God. And that change is everywhere, sweeping into churches. So it is a warning. It's a historic event. It's reduplicated over and over and over again throughout the scriptures. It's not just Genesis 3, Genesis 6, 2 Samuel 11. It's all the time, everywhere. And even comes for you. I don't know how, and I certainly don't know who. It's important to recognize that he comes. And he comes in soft and gentle words. Smooth words to trick you. And to say, oh, really? You believe those myths? You really believe there are consequences? Yeah, I do. And then turn away. In fact, the scriptures say you should flee. You should flee. Because his words are so beautiful and good. But truth be known, they're ugly, chaotic that bring consequences beyond our imagination. David learned that lesson. So did the sons of God. You know what follows Genesis 6? Worldwide cataclysmic flood. The grace of God to begin again. And so, uh, as a congregation, and as individuals who have given our hearts to Jesus Christ, let us depend upon God in his word and flee evil, uh, for such is good in the eyes of our great God.